0: Over 2,000 years ago, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that you might have eternal life. Our whole message here of Calvary Baptist Church, the whole reason Samaritan's Purse is here is not necessarily just to get people back on their feet, though they're able to do some of that, but it's to get the gospel out. Our mission here is to share the love of Jesus Christ. And boy, if you don't know him, all you need to do is acknowledge him that he, what he did on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful? What a privilege. Malachi chapter 3. I want you to look there, please. You say, Preacher, I've never heard of the book of Malachi. Well, maybe you've pronounced it as the Italians do, Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So go right to the la- that last book, Malachi chapter number 3. And I'd like you to look here, beginning in verse number 7. The Bible says here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, "...even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I," God says, "...will return unto you," saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, "...wherein shall we return?" Will a man rob God? Isn't that an interesting question? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to look at verse number 10, and I want you to notice four different words. There's two words in one spot, two words in another. Please notice the first two words of verse 10, bring ye, and then go down a couple of sentences here to these words, prove me. What God is saying here is you bring something in, And in essence, when you bring that in, I want you to put me to the test. I want you to prove me. Bring me, prove me. This morning, by God's grace, I'd like to talk about the greatest proposal ever made. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would guide us in this moment. Lord, help us, I pray. May your people be attentive to the word of God. May they not be distracted about what's around them, about what's going on today. But Lord, I pray that our focus would be right now. May the sweet spirit of God take residence in our heart and speak to us and share with us these spiritual truths. And I pray that you guide my lips today. I don't want to do this in my own strength, cannot do it in my own strength. Lord, I'm asking for your help, and I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's been almost 30 years ago that I had what I would consider one of the greatest days in my life. I had been dating somebody that was from Oak Forest, Illinois, by the name of Darla Renee McGee. Man, I was in love. (laughs) She was smart. She was gorgeous. And I thought, I'd really like to marry her. And so I contrived this uh, uh, plan, if you will, of proposing to her. I planned it out all well. I thought I had everything going. In fact, we were students at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and one of the schools nearby was Furman University, and they had on that campus for years and years something called a bell tower, or it's also been referred to as a clock tower. In fact, there's a picture of it that will be put on. It's a beautiful building. In fact, they rent this area out sometimes for weddings. But here was me the very romantic man that I am I wanted to do kind of a Romeo and Juliet and so I had planned that my wife and I I told her we were going to go for a picnic that day and and I was going to ask her to get up in that tower and look out one of the windows and I said that I was going to snap a picture of her but while she was up there what I wanted to do is get down on my knees and propose to her isn't that romantic I know it. I know it. You're jealous that you didn't think of that. But I'm telling you, every plan that I had for that day failed. First of all, it was raining. If you ever lived in South Carolina, you know it rains quite a bit. It happened to be raining on that particular day. And my wife said, we're still going for a picnic. I said, yeah, yeah. We'll find a place. We'll get under some tree somewhere and we'll find a place. Well, we then made our way to Furman. And so, as we got to that area, and I told my wife, I said, Now, can you do me a favor? I want you to climb up that clock tower. Well, you got to know my wife. She doesn't want to do anything unless she knows everything that's going to happen and what is expected of her. So, I started getting a little upset when she was indignant about going up. I'm like, Just go up. I'm ruining already the mood of this proposal. I'm like, just go up there. So finally, after a lot of coaxing, she finally started making her way. And then I hear this voice yelling out, I can't go up there. I'm like, why? I started yelling back, I said, why? She said, there's a gate and I can't get up there. I said, jump over the gate. And I heard these little sheepish words back. I'm in a skirt. I can't. So, anyway, she came back down, and as she started walking toward me, is when I got on my knees and I made that proposal. Now, to me, it was one of the greatest days, the greatest proposal, because I thought to myself, I can propose to her and I've won her to me. Yes. It was awesome. But can I say to you today, the greatest proposal that's ever been made is not an engagement. The greatest proposal is actually made from God in heaven to you and I here today who know Him as Savior. And that is that we would give unto Him and prove Him in our giving, and when we do so, God says, There's some things that I'm going to give in return that you'll get no other way. Very interesting. This book of Malachi is very worthy to note. And most people are very familiar with this passage of Scripture and about the area of giving. And I know what you're saying today, oh, preacher, I can't believe it. You're talking about giving today. Yes, I am. You're talking about tithing. I can't believe that you're going to step on that. Do you realize most preachers don't talk about money anymore and you're going to make some people mad? Can I tell you, take it up with God. You see, the whole reason I'm preaching this today is because God told me to preach this. I don't answer to people. I answer to God. And when God tells me to preach something from his word... That's what I'm told to do. But I'm here to share with you that if you get this principle today, I'm telling you, your life will be changed forever. This book of Malachi, written by a man by the name of Malachi, his name means my message. And the message that God has for his people was written here by Malachi through the inspiration of God for a people that had gotten back into the land of Israel and began rebuilding. But here's the problem. In the rebuilding process, over the course of about 100 years, they started getting a little half-hearted with God. That is, their attitude was lukewarm. Their spirit was not energetic towards God like it had first been. And God sends Malachi to the people to say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you full of energy to me? Why aren't you 100% fully dedicated to me, but yet you're half-hearted In fact, as you read through this book, you'll notice some questions that God gives to His people, and it begins all with the words, wherein, or where have, or what have. In other words, follow the pattern, turn back just a page with me, go back to chapter 1, notice here verse number 12, if you will, please. In chapter 1 or verse number uh, 6, I'm sorry, verse number 6, a son honoreth his father, a servant his master. If I then be a a father, where's mine honor? If I be a master, where's my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? And notice here the question that they say Well, where, wherein have we despised thy name? God had told them that he had loved them. In verse number two, look at this. I've loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Can I say to you today, if you're going to grab the principle of giving before God, you've got to realize that God loves you. You see, sometimes our giving is, well, I'm doing this because I love God. Can I tell you, the greater motivation is knowing that God loves us. And God loves you to the point that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, that you might have eternal life. Well, notice further the pattern that is uh, given here, uh, chapter number 2, verses 10 through 14, the priest uh, had had problems uh, in the previous chapter. And then chapter 2 here, divorce was very commonplace and easy. Look at verse number 14. They say, well, wherefore have we cut aside some of the things that are going on in our, in, between ourselves? And the Lord says in chapter 2, verse 14, Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. Chapter 3, there's businessmen that were defrauding their workers. They were cheating their customers and taking advantage of the widows and the fatherless and the orphans and the strangers that were out there. And God is telling them through all of this scenario, this message of Malachi to his people, for them to return to him, come back to me. And if you do so, you'll avoid the judgment of God. But it's interesting how we come back to this text that we have today in chapter 3 and verse number 8, and an interesting question that God asks of his people through Malachi Look at this in the first part of verse 8. Will a man rob God? Now let me ask you a question. Who has the audacity to ask a question like that? God does. And before the people even begin to answer, God answers it for them. He says, I know what you're getting ready to ask, because you're going to ask this. Well, where have we robbed you? How is it that we've robbed you? And guess what God's answer is? In tithes. And in offerings. Wait a minute. You mean God's people were robbing from God of the tithes and offerings? Yes. The idea of robbery or theft is taking that which belongs to another the world, I, I, as I studied this with this week and, and went through this whole subject, I thought to myself, "How in the world can frail human beings rob a God who has made and owns everything?" But think about it. God, through this book, gave them a litany of things that they were not doing unto him. They were not honoring him. They were dishonoring their marriage covenant. They were not helping the homeless. But it was also seen in the fact that God had given them everything, and yet they had not given a portion back to him. A number of years ago, I read some statistics about church giving and tithing. In fact, the Giving Institute, there is such an institute, they have estimated that tithers only make up about 10 to 25% of any congregation. On average of their studies, Christians give about 2.5% of their income to the church. And of the families that make $75,000 and above, only 1% of those people donated one-tenth of their income. Now, before I get into this passage for just a moment, let me talk about tithing. That is, what is it and what are the common objections? Well, first objection would be this. I don't know what tithing is, preacher. Well, there's two things to observe. First of all, tithing is just 10%. The word tithe comes from a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. In other words, do the simple math. If you make $100 today, a tithe would be $10. Now, sometimes we say to ourselves, well, th- th- then God must be just sitting a low barometer. Let me just tell you something. That's just the benchmark. That's the, the floor, if you will, not the ceiling of giving to God's work. In other words, tithing is a place to begin. If you're not giving today, you are to consider, all right, I want to give 10% to the Lord. Larry Burkett, who was a Christian financial advisor and did many things for churches around the country, here's what he said in his book back in 1990, as best as I can tell, God never asked less than 10% from anyone. But if that bothers someone, I can see no reason why they couldn't give twice as much if they desired. I love that. Now, that's the idea here. Today, the term tithing is used erroneously of all types of giving. I have heard, and I've never really corrected people on this unless they've asked me the question, but I've had people who sometimes might make a, a couple of grand a week and they're giving $50 and they use this idea of, well, I'm tithing today. No, let me just tell you something. If you make two grand a week, a tithe is $200. That's what a tithe is. But another thing about tithing that must be understood is, it's God's. Am I right? Okay, you're a little quiet today, and I know I'm talking about money. But give me a little feedback, please, okay? Tithing is God's. It's God's. We should always refer to as God's tithe and not my tithe. People in the Old Testament didn't give a tithe uh, uh, in essence of, well, I'm giving this, this is of mine. But no, they gave it back to the owner of all things. That's God. Now, here's the second objection. First objection is, I don't know what the tithe is. All right, 10%. Second objection is, I don't think the tithe is for us today. Look, we live in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't seem to talk about it. And what people are saying is, it seems to be something of the law, and we're not under the law today. But can I note something with you about the New Testament? Jesus believed in the tithe, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Paul believed in the tithe, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Some have, again, relegated to this law, but I want you to note it that the tithe was spoken about before the law, during the law, and after the law. I remember hearing a message one time, and here's what a preacher said as he talked about tithing in his message. He said, Abraham that's before the law, commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Malachi confirmed it. Jesus commended it. Therefore, who are you and I to cancel it? But the third objection is this, I'm not sure where to pay my tithe. Do I give to some organization out there? Now, there's wonderful organizations that we call parachurch organizations. That is, they're not a church, but they're doing some good. It could be spiritual good. It could be physical good. And sometimes we say, well, I'm giving my tithe there. Can I tell you something? Here's what God said in his word, Malachi. He talked about bringing it into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, the storehouse was God's temple where God's work was done. Today, we don't have a temple in the sense of the Old Testament, but today, you and I as New Testament believers worship together in God's house, the church. And it is here where we worship that we are to bring in our tithes and offerings. Today, if you will, the church is God's storehouse. Now, I want to tell you something. This is what God is telling us here today, not just me. I believe that the tithe is a tenth and it belongs to God and we ought to give it. So let's look for just a moment here at this aspect of giving from Malachi chapter 3 and see this proposal that God is making to bring me and to prove me. Number one, I want you to notice this in verse number 10, God will provide god will provide look at this phrase in verse number 10 he says that there may be meat in mine house now sometimes we get a little puzzled by looking at that phrase meat you mean preacher do you want me to bring some steaks in well that'd be good if we have a barbecue tonight okay but you understand in the temple here, they're bringing in their animals. That was what they brought in as far as their tithe was concerned. You and I don't operate on that here today. We operate with regards to cash, and we operate as far as money is concerned. But I want to tell you something. The principle here is not defining the word meat. It is the aspect of God meeting the needs of the church and God meeting your needs. I cannot tell you how many times people will say to me, Preacher, I I don't know that I can give because I'm a little concerned. Can I tell you this? You can't afford not to give. You can't. If you think to yourself, I I don't know if I'm uh, going to be able to have groceries this week, or I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to just tell you something. God says to trust me. Give to me. Prove me. Who gives you your money in the first place? It's God. Who allows you to work? Who provides the extra funds that come in? Sometimes there's a little bonus that comes in. Sometimes there's other things that come your way. Who provides all that for you? It is God. And what God is saying here in this proposal to you is, I'm going to provide. When I think about the church, I think about how God provides here through the tides of God's people. You see, in the Old Testament here, it was that uh, the priests who did not have land that was given to them. If you understand the Old Testament, God had divided out the land to the various tribes, but to the Levite tribe, he did not give any land. They were to live there at the temple, they were to work at the temple, and they were to be provided for by all of the Israelites. And the Israelites would bring in their tithe, and the priest and those that worked there would benefit from those tithes. Today you have a church here that you attend, that you're a member of, many of you, called Calvary Baptist Church, and it is here that we have staff that are paid out of the tithes. We're able to enjoy the lights are on today. The air conditioning is working. The buildings get maintained. The insurance gets paid. All sorts of things are done because of the tithes of God's people. Sometimes people don't get that and they say, well, preacher, you know, you ought to be able to look to other means. Don't just kind of hold us by the nap of the neck and talk about tithing. Can I say this? The water of life, that is the spiritual water of life, flows freely here, but the plumbing costs money. And it is imperative that every person do their job with regards to tithing. We've watched God meet the needs of this place. I have been amazed every year that we have had to raise our budget. Be honest with you, as, as I take time and pray about it and go through our budget and I start thinking about how we need to raise, this past year we raised our budget some due to the fact we wanted to make sure that our staff uh, were, were um, adequately provided for in regards to what's going on in our economy. But I'm telling you what, I'm trusting God to provide for us. And every year that we have provided for our staff, and every year that we've ever had to raise our, our, our general fund for other things that are going on. Do you know what's happened? God's brought the meat into his house. God has provided. And so I can look back at being here almost seven years and say, yep, in that year God provided. Yep, that God, year, that God provided. Yes, God provided. And if by faith and trusting God and knowing that God is moving, then I can only say this year God will provide, but he uses you to do that number two i want you to notice also in verse number 10 that is god will prosper you look at this phrase i love this it says here the lord of hosts says i will open the windows of heaven how many of you have an imagination this morning just think with me for just a minute Imagine God opening up a big window in heaven and saying, because Calvary Baptist gave, or you as an individual gave, God is pouring out upon you blessings. How many want to be blessed today by God? Sure, absolutely. If you didn't raise your hand, you're sleeping right now. All of us want to receive and desire God's blessings, and God says He'll open up His storehouse in heaven if you put it into His storehouse on earth. How much do you think God has? I mean, honestly, it's a dumb question because the Bible tells us in the Psalms that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything, and he has the ability to pour out what you need. That's the God we serve. May I remind you that God's proposal starts with you doing your part first. Oh, I've talked to a lot of people, preacher, I'll tell you what, if I get a raise, I'll start giving to God. If I get a bonus, I'll start tithing to God. No, 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 no. Here's what God says. You take that step and then you watch the blessings come. But too many hold back. You know why? We're not living by faith. We're living by what we see. We're waiting for the money to come in and then we go, all right, now I got enough. No, no. God says what you have right now in your pocket, in your bank account is enough for you to be able to give to him. That's the way God works pastor made the following announcement to his church. I love this. He says, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we have enough to pay for our building program right here at the church. The bad news is it's still out there in your pockets. <laughs> That's the truth. That's where God comes in. And I'll tell you, God has prospered this place and God is wants and desires to prosper you I'm here today to tell you I'm not a health and wealth preacher, but I believe that if you take care of God's business, God will take care of you. The man that began Kraft Cheese Corporation's J.L. Kraft said, The only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasingly dividends is the money I've given to the Lord. Some Christians often wonder, Why does God bless other people and he doesn't seem to bless me? I think you might know what the answer is. You start giving unto the Lord. Now, though this is an answer of the only God knows himself, I want to tell you something. There have been those that have, if I can use the text here today, who have robbed God, and it seems like they feel like they've been robbed. God's not blessing me. God's not helping me out. I want to tell you something. You start giving unto the Lord, and God will see your needs met. The man R.G. Laterno, who helped and was instrumental in inventing earth-moving machines, was a very fine Christian man who during his lifetime ended up giving 90% of his income all throughout his life. Here's what he said. He said, the money would come in faster than I would give it away. He says, I shovel it out and God shovels it back, but God's got a bigger shovel (laughs) as a way to help you. Think of these verses, Matthew 6:33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, that is, you just a little bit, is going to reap sparingly, but those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Number three, notice this proposal of God. Bring me, prove me. Well, look at verse number 11. God will protect you. Look what he says here to the Israelites. Again, Again, let's get the context. He's speaking first and foremost directly to the Israelites, but this is a message for us. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And then he begins talking about the fruit on the ground, how it won't be ruined. Now, how many have ever tried some farming or gardening? Raise your hand for just a moment. Boy, there's a lot out of your control, isn't there? I remember finding out how bad bugs were here in Florida when I set up my own little garden. And those little little things just devoured stuff that I had. I remember my son, Johnny, when he was just a little boy, about six years old, I think we, we planted a, a pineapple out. He had a project in the Christian school that he was a part of, and we planted a pineapple. I had no fence around my yard, and when that pineapple was about ready to be picked, I found out we had animals that came and t- took it. Now, we're not out farming today and bringing in our green beans or or fruit here today, but I want to tell you something, just like there's a devourer physically that could take things away from those Israelites in their farms, do you realize there's a devourer that wants to constantly keep you at bay from giving to God? Who is a devourer? Satan himself. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, listen to this, seeking whom he may devour. Wow. Now, I want to tell you, the reason that many people don't have money to give to God, as they say, is because they foolishly spend it on so many other things. They've not given their part to God. I want to tell you, the devil as a devourer is working overtime to keep his people in consumer debt. Now, I'm not talking about a house. I understand many of you may have a house payment and maybe a vehicle payment, but I'm talking about consumer debt, credit cards, store cards that are maxed out for all the things that we desire, and yet we come into church and go, "Mm, I can't give to God today. The devourers come by. And He's got you with your greed and your desires and feeling like you need everything out there. My friend, you can afford not to give. Let me notice the last thing here, verse number 12. God will promote you. I love this. Again, directly talking to Israel, all nations shall call you blessed. You see, during the Old Testament time, God wanted the Israelites to be a people that would showcase the very glory of God. That was the job of the Israelites. They had a special law given to them. They had a special relationship with God. And they were there to show to all the nations around them that God was the God to be served. But you know what? They came to a place where they had worshiped all these other gods and they found themselves in slavery and all the nations looked at them in slavery and go, oh, look at how big your God is. You're a slave to these other nations. And now after 70 years, they get out of this servitude and God says, don't forget something. You bring in those tithes and those offerings into the storehouse, and I will bless you, and I will cause you to be blessed among all the nations of the world. Can I say to you today, there are far too many Christians that are walking around with a long face and they're walking around discouraged today because they don't have enough money, and yet they've not trusted God in giving to Him. And Christians and other people in the world look at you and go, wow, I guess you don't have enough faith, do you? Let me tell you something, when you start giving to God, you'll find God's blessings will come upon you. And there will be not necessarily nations, but there will be people that will look around and go, I want what that person has. I want that type of life. I'm not talking about the money, the material thing, but the fact that there is a blessing upon your life. Could I ask you today have you ever evaluated your giving? You know I said it earlier you can afford not to give Luke 6:38 Given it shall be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over shall men give into your bos- bosom for the same measure that ye meet with all shall it be measured to you Matthew 6, 19, and 20, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rusteth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. Now, up to this point in your life, you may have given for a lot of different reasons, or maybe you haven't given at all. And those reasons that you haven't given or haven't given as much is due to greed or retirement or saving for retirement or disagreement with how the church spends its money, whatever it may be over the years that you've done. But I want to tell you something. This is not a church matter. This is not a John Boucher matter. This is a you and God matter. You and God. And today I'm preaching this, number one, because I know that God has asked me to preach this. But number two, I want you to be blessed by God. I close with this. There's a pastor in Texas by the name of Brother Kuykendall. And he ran into one day a founder of the Duke and Ayers nickel store. This is a story from years ago by the name of H.Z. Duke. And he asked the preacher, Kuykendall, he said, do you believe in tithing? And he said he did. Preacher said he did. So Mr. Duke then asked him, well, do you practice tithing? And he said, no, I do not. I believe in tithing, but I cannot practice it. You see, I've got 13 children at home, every meal, 15 of us sit down at the table, and I only receive $125 a month, that's $1,500 a year as a salary. I've got to maintain my own horse and buggy for constant traveling, and it's just impossible for me to take care of all the needs of the family, considering $125 a month. So yes, I believe in tithing, I preach it, but I can't practice it. Mr. Duke said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to set out to give God at least $12.50 every month as soon as you get your salary. Then as you feel led, you may give more. And I promise that if you need help, here's what Duke said, I'll give it to you. Simply write me a letter and say, Brother Duke, I'm giving a tithe, but I sure miss the money. I need it for my family. I haven't given this year so much. And I promise you that I'll send you a check by return mail. Would you be willing to try it on that basis? Brother Kuykendall was very excited that the offer and he began tithing. That year, God took care of his needs in unexpected ways. So he never had to send a letter to Mr. Duke. At the end of the year, he realized that he had trusted Mr. Duke's promise to provide for him more than he had trusted God's promise. He said, I've taken the word of a man when I didn't even take the promise of God. Now, I had proven God's promises and found that he took care of me and my big family on a small salary, and I found that $112 per month took care of our family better with God's blessing than $125 did without uh, being under the blessed covenant, which he had made with those who will give back to him. Mm. My friend, I want to encourage you here today. Do your giving while you're living so you'll be knowing where it's going. (laughs) Somebody said you ain't taking it with you, but you sure can send it ahead. And I want to encourage you today to think about your giving before God. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the message, Lord. I rarely preach on giving, but I know you had me do this today. I have no doubt in my mind. There may be some that walk out of here mad, but Lord, they got to take that business up with you. I know I've done my part. I ask that you bring conviction upon your people here today. Bring conviction to those that are here today without Jesus Christ. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed here today, I'd I'd like to ask this simple question here today. I've talked mainly to believers today, but it's possible you're not a believer. Could I say the whole premise of giving, you being able to give to God, comes back to the fact that God is the greatest giver the world has ever known. You say, how so? God gave his son to die for your sins. Now, maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with the matter of eternity. You say, I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Can I say to you, God's already made all the preparation for you, and all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Him? Salvation's not by what you do. Because you're in church today doesn't make you saved. Just because you've grown up in a Christian home doesn't mean that you're saved. The only way that a person is saved is if they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They acknowledge to Jesus that they're a sinner. They acknowledge that Jesus died for their sin. And they ask him to forgive them of all their sins. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you're here today and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, I'd like to lead you in this simple prayer. Please understand the words don't save anybody. This may be words that you repeat, but it is the heart that matters. The Bible says those who confess with their mouth, that's praying that prayer, but believe in their heart that God's raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So if you're here today and you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior I'd like to invite you right now in your seat to pray this simple prayer right after me. I'm going to pray the prayer out loud. You pray it in your heart to yourself and to God. Here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I cannot save myself. Nothing I can do to gain eternal life. But I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. And you shed your blood to wash my sins away. And right now I'm asking Jesus Christ, God's holy son, to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal savior. Now, my friend, if you just prayed that prayer here today, I want to tell you the greatest decision you've ever made is what you just made right now. Jesus was not ashamed of you and He died on the cross. You ought not to be ashamed of Him because right now, God has given you eternal life. And I want to encourage you right now, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd just like to acknowledge you. I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you in any way. But I want to, just invite you to get some further materials from us that you could be helped in your newfound faith. And you say here today, Preacher, I did pray that prayer right now, and I asked the Lord to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior, and I'm not ashamed of Him. And you just lift your hand right now. Anyone here today? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you. Anyone else here today? We had one person raise their hand right now. Preacher, I prayed that prayer, and I meant it with all my heart. Anyone else here today? I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer, in just a moment we'll have an invitation and we'll have some of our personal workers will be right in the front. You come right to them and tell them, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. We'd love to get pray with you briefly, get some material in your hands to help you grow in the things of God. Would you do that today? Some of you, even in previous weeks, have prayed to receive Christ. I'd like to invite you to come.